The future is a hefty responsibility and not one that we take lightly. But then taking things lightly has never been what hefty is about. That's why we've created the Hefty Renew program that turns hard to recycle plastics into valuable resources like park benches and building materials. To participate, simply fill up an orange Hefty Renew bag with accepted items, tie it up, and drop it in with your regular recycling. That's it. It's that easy. It's time to rethink recycling with Renew. Particular valued resources may vary by geography. More info available at heftyrenew.com. Welcome to the RPGBot.News. I'm Randall James, and with me is Tyler Kamstra. Hi, everybody. And Ash Eli. Hey, guys. And tonight we have a special guest with us, Casey Christofferson. Hi there, guys. Nice to meet you. Tyler, what's happening? Well, uh, we brought on Casey tonight. Casey is the art director at Frog God Games. Now, if you're a tabletop RPG enthusiast, the art director is a very, very important role in tabletop RPG products that a lot of people generally don't think about. So we brought on Casey to ask some questions about, like, what is it like to be an art director and stuff? And we're just going to pick Casey's brains, try to learn some things about making art, making tabletop RPG products, and, you know, putting those two things together. So, Casey, uh, tell us a little bit about yourself. The first question I want to ask, how many brains do you think Casey has? I don't know. At least two, (laughs) since we're picking plural. Okay, just sorry, yeah. Casey. The right brain and the well, left brain. No, I remember back in the day when they used to say well, you had your four brain and your your lizard brain and all of those kind of things. So at least three. There you go. So, okay, okay. Yeah. we're gonna yeah. pick all of them. Yeah, pick them all. That's okay. Uh, yeah. Like, well, like I said, you know the you know the you had the question, you know, who is Casey? And I thought that was funny because the therapist won't return my calls right now. So I've been trying, you know, how like every three weeks they're like, you should talk to somebody. I'm like, yeah, I know. I'm trying. Yeah, I'll take my insurance or whatever. Yeah. But uh, yeah, uh, it's uh, it's cool. We, um, me uh, personally, I am the uh, art director at uh, Frog God Games, Necromancer Games. I've done uh, uh, Game Hole Publishing. I've done a couple books for them for uh, Alex Kammer. Where where do I come from? What's that whole scene all about? I um I I've been a writer in RPGs for over twenty years. I started uh back at the uh onset of third edition uh D D. Though uh prior to that I was actually an aspiring artist and had sent my uh, portfolio of work out to uh TSR not knowing they were in bankruptcy and Wizards of the Coast, not knowing I just was not good enough for them at the time. Uh you know it is and and so uh i've always uh, kind of uh, been involved in gaming in some capacity and i'd kind of taken a, a step away from it from like the time i graduated college uh, with my uh fine arts degree uh to uh you know what was that right around uh, 2000 2001 when they uh, announced the launch of 3.5 my uh, uh in-laws who've uh, uh since passed uh, got me the uh third edition uh, D&D rule books for christmas uh, because uh, when uh, my wife and I first started dating, we'd play uh, AD&D or second edition. We, I've never played a single edition, like, straight the way it's supposed to be played. I've always mixed in every other edition I started with as a kid and, and done that. But, yeah, uh, I got my uh, art degree at the uh, University of Northern Iowa. Then I went and got a teaching degree there. I uh, got a teaching job in Wichita, Kansas, where we uh, live now. 
and that was uh, 20 like 23 years ago sounds about right you know they got me the books and in the back of the first printing of the uh of the uh, third edition player's handbook and dungeon master's guide they had an advertisement for uh white wolf owned company uh sword and sorcery studios which uh was uh imprint that uh, monty cook and clark peterson bill webb and a couple other people uh john secord and those guys all had uh their own imprints fiery dragon necromancer games all of that was kind of under that blanket of a sword and sorcery studios malhavik they had an online chat and uh i I've told this story a million times, but I independently met uh, Bill Webb and Clark Peterson in their text-only mud that uh, was run by White Wolf in their Scarred Lands uh, D&D setting uh, and was playing... Oh, go ahead. No, okay, that, that's awesome, but I have to ask the question for some listeners at home. Uh, tell folks what a mud is. Okay, it's a chat-based RPG that they store your character sheet on their own server and it has a dice roller and it is active and alive 24 hours a day seven days a week where you go in and mostly role play and then also play adventures in and depend upon the game system that you're that you're playing uh so that that's what it was that was before they had the, all the cool uh tabletop rpg was it virtual tabletops and all that stuff that they have now this was how we played D online and and I, it goes back to uh, was like InfoSurf sites like in the late '80s people started using, uh, so they were basically playing mailer email play by email D and D with each other. And so this this was like kind of an extension. It grew from that. And uh, like I said, I played on there and I met uh, those guys, and they both also independently hired me to work for their company. And both were bragging about how they'd met some dude that they were going to hire that was going to be like way more whoop ass than the other guy that the other dude was talking about. <laughs> then they found out it was me, and laughs were heard all around because I was playing different characters with each person with completely different personalities. So that's I how see. that kind of rolled right, out. That's wonderful. Do you, do you feel like you lived up to yourself? Yeah, I, honestly, I do. I, I do. I mean, I had a barbarian that I played with uh, with uh, Bill Webb and. He played a cleric, and if you know how clerics worked in third edition, they're like the buff meisters of everyone else, so he'd buff the toughest guy. And uh, I'm pretty good at game systems and rules and figuring out where they're broken and how they don't work. And uh, it gets me in trouble because I open my mouth around people who work for major publishers, and they get mad because they worked really hard on those rules. And if you go, you know, this third-level guy can do 100 and some points of damage, they don't want to talk to you anymore. You, you, <laughs> you, you are among the friends. Yeah, yeah. So I, I, did, I did the smart barbarian route, and I took the guy who had the, the spring attack and the mobility and all of that kind of stuff. So I was basically like a cruise missile of damage and destruction, and then Bill Webb would buff my guy to make me worse. And uh, they were getting pretty mad at us. And so anyways, that's where... That's where a lot of that stuff comes from. The the god Baub. I didn't like the gods that they had in the Scarred Land setting. So I'm like, uh, well, I'd call everyone Baub all the time. And I got that from uh, Harry Harrison's uh, Stainless Steel Rat because it was the dirtiest word you could say in the universe. And if you join the uh, the uh, Space Marines, you could you could say anything you want and do whatever you want. You could even say Baub, you know? And I was like, That's cool. so I'm even a god after that. Just acting like I'm crazy all the time. But anyways. That's uh, that's uh, kind of a little bit my tabletop history. You know, I, I started playing when I was like six or seven years old with the neighbor kid. 
So you mentioned uh, getting your start in uh, original tabletop uh, for versions of D&D, like AD&D. Going through some of the art you sent us, it does seem like uh, you maybe took a lot of inspiration from that art, too. It's got kind of like an 80s pulp vibe to it. Uh, Do you have any specific, like, inspirations, like, sources besides AD&D and, like, Oh, oh uh, yeah, a specific a- artist or something. Absolutely. Um, my dad, uh, he was, uh, he wanted to go to school to be an artist and then, you know, uh, he got like drafted and such, or was about to get drafted and had to pick a different life choice. Cause he didn't do <laughs> some hot school. Uh, it is what it is, but, uh, he's a good dude. He was always inspired by art and he read a lot of, uh, when I started reading, he introduced me to, uh, Edgar Ives Burroughs, Robert Howard. You know. I was just going to say, it looks like Conan. That's what it looks like. Yeah. 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 Uh, Michael Moorcock. And, and so that's like the stuff, you know, I mean, I think I probably read the Hobbit first and then the Lord of the Rings afterwards. And that was a pretty good slog when you're like, I don't know, eight or so, nine years old, whatever. <laughs> but, uh, you know, he's like, I, I think you're going to like these guys. And I mean, John Carter to this day is still one of my favorite characters. One of my favorite story sagas, at least the first four or five books and the first three for sure. And it's it's a shame they never let him finish making the movies because the movies were way better than the reviewers. The reviewers didn't understand the content they were looking at, you know. <laughs> and uh, so I thought they were fine. But, yeah, so all those old artists, uh, you know, Frank Frazetta, Boris Vallejo, uh, he would pick up the uh, Ballantine book versions with all of the prints of their artwork. And, I mean, you know, sure, there's graphic violence and nudity and all of this kind of stuff. And I'm like, you know, seven, eight, nine-year-old kid. And he's like, whatever, it doesn't matter. It's artwork. (laughs) I got my start in art because I was, you know, as a little kid, he'd draw pictures and he'd copy pictures of like dinosaurs out of old encyclopedias. I'd be like, do it again. And, you know, I mean, he's a busy guy. He's an engineer. And he's like, hey, I tell you what, here's some paper, here's some pencils. Let's see how good a job you can do. And then he's like, okay, I guess you're drawing all of the pictures from now on. So, you know, <laughs> it's, 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 it is. So that's kind of how it got going. And, uh, you know, I played with, uh, the neighbor kid had the, the homes basic set. He got it from his brother for Christmas and he played with me. And this is the same kid who taught me how to play baseball. The same kid who taught me how to play basketball. He's a few years older than me, but he knew his sports was going to be a big deal. Like heading into middle school. Cause he was, like I said, a few years older. So he actually gave me that box set cause I enjoyed it more than he did. And, uh, I had that for a few years. And then, uh, our, uh, Cub Scout group, the, one of the dads is like, we should play D and D. And, and then, you know, it wasn't like three weeks later where I ended up being the DM. <laughs> nice. And it's kind of been like that ever since I was like seven or eight years old, I guess. So. So you came through all that, grew up doing art, looking at art, um, ended up at uh, Sword and Sorcery Studios, you said. Yeah, yeah. Now, how did you end up with Frog God from there? Uh, Well, like I said, I was playing in their games, and Bill Webb sent me uh, a draft for the uh, chapter part two of uh, Rappanathic. So he he wanted some, uh, my character that I played with, uh, with his partner Clark was a bard. And I would just like freestyle because I kind of grew up in a like a kind of rap and heavy metal. I mean, dude, it was all anthrax type stuff where I grew up. You know, you were like rap and heavy metal fusion, that kind of thing. So I I just like freestyle some lyrics while we're playing. And they're like, you don't even need to make a perform role. That's fine. You know, and, uh, <laughs> and so Clark Peterson's like, hey, man, uh, would you write some write some phrases, some lyrics, some of this cool stuff you do? 
for a couple parts of the book. And, uh, you know, he and Bill were like adamant they wanted me to do that. So I wrote like the poem that's the, uh, the, uh, Eric Tal. He's a, uh, he's a cloud giant who had a, uh, no, he was a Titan and he had a cloud giant who was his manservant. And they're like buried in this, uh, tomb in Rappanathic. And so I got to write the, the saga of Eric Tall. And then, you know, a lot of the stuff that, uh, the, uh, the wizard, he's got the uh, wand of wizard's mark, Spiegel, and he would go around, and he got his name because he named himself after the Spiegel's catalog because he never played D&D before he met these guys. <laughs> so uh, he had a wand of uh, wizard's mark, and he would write graffiti all over the dungeon, don't go down the well, beware the purple worms, stuff like that. So uh, they, they had me write some things for that, and then uh, they approached me about working on some adventures and things of that nature, and they'd give me like kind of the bare-bones outline of the adventure, and I'd write that in. So where does that get to the artwork? Well, I did a few modules, my very first few modules. I did some with the Trollord games and because we're all friends. And Necromancer games at the time, they they like just didn't have the production to be able to put out everything that was coming out. Because when someone first starts in the RPG business and you're writing or creating or whatever, it's just this flood of everything you've always wanted to put out and everything you've always wanted to do. Trust me, it slows down over time. It just does, you, you know. It's not that you run out of ideas, but you want to articulate your words, your ideas, your art, your creations, and make them as, as good and professional as you can. So, you know, you're not cranking out 150,000 words, you know, every six months anymore. You might be down to 50,000 words, but it's going to be more concise, better work. That's, it's, it's that way for everybody, I feel. And um, I would be disappointed with some of the artwork that was in my books, to put it mildly. Not stuff that Brian Locke was doing, but... Or, or Lofgren or those guys, but there'd be a few people who just, their work just was not meshing with what I was doing, what I wanted, what was going on in my mind. Uh, so uh, when I was uh, working on the uh, City of Brass box set the first time in 3.5 edition, I, I said to uh, Mike Cheney over at White Wolf, I'm like, man, let me just talk to this artist and tell him what I want, you know? Because I had, like, as I write, I draw a sketchbook. I, I draw, I don't have one with me, but I draw my ideas out while I'm writing. And so I just sent those sketches to the artist, which happened to be Brian LeBlanc for most of that book. And he he really put it down. He really was like, okay, I, I get what you want, you know. So I was happy with that. Well, that was kind of dipping my toes in it. But uh, some time goes by. I'd been working, uh, doing a lot of stuff with the uh, uh, Troll Lord games. Uh, they approached me with Frog God. They're like, hey, we own a bunch of the Necromancer properties that you worked on in the day. We're going to republish them with you or without you. Do you want us to republish them and expand them with your work or with somebody else who doesn't know the content? It's kind of like an offer you can't refuse. And I'm like, okay, but I get to pick the art that goes in the book. And they're like, fine, fine. <laughs> and it took about uh, Bardsgate and City of Brass before they went, you know, you're our art director now. <laughs> because you're better than our nice. and you're pissing everybody off. And, uh, and so I've been doing that now, I guess, for about seven years, six, seven years. I've been doing the art directing full time. So I want to ask the question, like going back, uh, you know, the distance that you're talking about. And it's funny because we hear these years like uh, 2005, 2010. And I, I know I always forget like 2010. That's around when the first iPhone came out. No, you know, remember what the internet looked like by then. Think about what technology <laughs> looked like. And I'm, yeah. I'm, I'm, I'm saying that to, to ask the question: how you develop content, mm -hmm. how you develop and manage art, how you manage a publication, like all of these things. You know, I would assume over the past twelve years have changed drastically. 
Yes, it has. We were just talking about that today. I'm always, uh, as as an artist, as a writer, because believe me, all of this stuff is artwork. It's all art. Um, and that's the one thing that, like, our independent publishers and our smaller publishers, like, you know, Frog God, Necromancer, you know, many others, uh, Planet X Games, stuff like that. It's, yeah, we're doing it because we want to make money at it and we want this to be our job. But we're also doing it because it's a labor of love and it's it's part of our lifestyle, okay? And so it's a collaborative work of art. Now, what's changed as a writer is I find that I, I'm writing almost in tweets, not because I want to, but because I have to. And if you'll notice a lot of the new content that's coming out, <laughs> the stuff that gets the best reviews from the uh, younger audience, and I'm saying 35 and under, and I'm not judging anyone for that. It's the way they were brought up, right? And uh, uh, so lots of bullet points. And the bullet point is a short, precise, this NPC acts this way. This is why he does this. These particular characters or other NPCs are his nemesis, or he doesn't like them, or he's going to act this way, that way, the other thing. You got to put that in the bullet points so that they're like, ah, now I know what I'm looking for. In the olden days, we used to get a module that didn't have any of that stuff, or I didn't write that stuff because the dungeon master would do that as their prep for running the adventure. They'd go in and, and kind of draw all of those threads together. And now we're pretty much kind of doing that work as well. Uh, it's, it's a, it's a conversation that I've had with like Alex Cameron and some others is, you know, uh, we go to conventions like North Texas RPG con, which is a fantastic convention. And we play with people who are literally professional gamers. Okay. So you want to test your adventure. You're playing with people who know their stuff and they know the game inside out and how, how things work. And there's no way that they can't metagame because they've been playing for so long. But you, you, want to, uh, you want them to hit your weak spots and find those, those weak places so you can go back. And I, I had a guy, he looks at me, he goes, are you literally editing at the table? And I'm like, because <laughs> you found something that I didn't think about. And uh, so that's one of the big changes. Artwork uh, used to be they painted it with paint or drew it with pen, marker, pencils. Uh, a lot of it's switched over to digital work now. Um, digital work is faster, but it requires the same comprehensive knowledge of how to create images. You have to know your, uh, your lighting. You have to know your lighting. You have to know your uh, color theory and all of those things, and you have to be ready to... Uh, so so it's not like it's less skill is involved. There's the same skill involved with digital art as there is with traditional art. You say that, and it, it kind of inspires a question. Are most of the artists that you're seeing, are these folks who have spent years kind of honing their craft on pen and paper with ink, with pencil, with paint, and now they're taking it over to the digital? Are you starting to see artists where like, they've always had an iPad in front of them and they've been drawing digitally for forever now? My younger artists in general don't have as much of the uh, the skills working in the uh, in in the traditional media, but they're always on. And the thing is, they have YouTube, they have TikTok, they can go learn all of that technical stuff that the colleges are not teaching. I'll tell you flat out, I got a I got an art degree. I went because I wanted to learn how to be a better painter. I wanted, and I became a better painter, but it wasn't from anything any of my professors taught me. And it's not that they were bad at what they did. It's just they were going along with a tradition of art that goes back to classicism in the 1870s, you know, and that that theory of teaching that Henri and those guys put forth 
after the French Revolution, whatever, was was so ingrained in everything. That's why you had that Bohemian Revolution where everything fell into like color because they were tired of it. They were tired of being told you have to have everything put in this little box and it has to look just this way. And I think you get the most inspired art and the most dramatic and it, it, stuff from people who have that passion. And that's what I look for in the artists that I hire is the passion at what they do. I'll put people's art together in a book that their styles are not necessarily they're not the same because i don't want like for example i have quentin sobruyard and i have uh artem shikayev they have a similar style they have a very muscular modern style that's uh, popular with a lot of your wizards of the coast type products you know they really put it out there like that but i'm not going to generally put a lot of their work together in the same book because they're different i'd rather put some other people who have that passion and feel for what's in the text what's in the script you know and they're bringing that forth to uh to uh it's because that's what the art in the rpg book is for it's to inspire the people you open the page and you tell them after they you know you just scroll, you read the read aloud text which is another thing i never used to do now i've added that into the into the manuscript <laughs> because it's it's just how it is that's that's the flavor you know and so you do the read aloud text then you bust out the work of art and everybody at the table goes oh you know <laughs> that's the thing that you want yeah our, our dms constantly are doing that for us like it, it's the okay i don't have any reason to show this to you because we're playing virtually but um everybody go look at the chat because i just copied an image and i want you to see it and and it's exactly <laughs> that it's like before i fight this majestic beast let me see it because it's really cool I, I want to ask the question. You talk about, you know, choosing which artist and choosing which art you're you're going to put into a book or put into a piece. What is your process beginning to end okay. for choosing, you know, what, what are we going to illustrate? Okay. So uh, I always tell the authors, I'm like, listen, there's things that people need to see and things that don't necessarily matter. If it's a landscape or like a picture of a castle or something like that, you know, that's, that's one thing. But if it's in, action piece focus on two three figures you know give give me something that's going to give them an idea of what kind of situation that they're that the players are in uh so then they write art notes and once again bullet points because it works for us old farts too uh <laughs> so i go uh, bullet points you know and um the the art buy for us and other companies have different deals uh but rr by is based on the number of words in the manuscript so if it's a 10,000 word manuscript which is roughly a 22 to 24 page product uh then they're going to get about two whole two full pages of artwork plus the cover okay and then they're going to get pretty much all of their monsters or npcs that could be made into a virtual tabletop token those are going to they're going to get those added in as a uh, kind of a bonus to their to their budget right so they know their budget uh and so they pick the things and then i'll talk to them a little bit and they'll they'll give me like say six ideas and i'm going to pick four of them and put those in as half page works of art i don't like to give out a lot of quarter page works of art because there's another artist involved named the layout artist and i refuse to throw them under the bus but here it goes sometimes <laughs> They have in the past, in order to fill a spot on a page, taken a quarter page art and turned it into a half page or a three quarter page or a full page piece of art. But that person only got paid for the quarter page. And then I have to go and pay them more money to make up for what the other person did. So, but, but I'll do that. I'll do that because I, I want it to be fair for the artists because the artists don't make a lot of money and it doesn't matter. 
you know what they 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 make they make good money but they got to really be able to work and they got to really be able to crank out content in order to to make a good living and they can believe me they can but it's it's a lot of work you know so it sounds like it sounds like you've got a good idea of like yeah your individual artists have different styles and you have ideas of how you want to group those artists in different products um do, do you have just some favorite artists that you just go to all the time well, actually, let me let me dial back to the process, and then I'll answer that question. So, okay. after I get the art notes, I hand those off to the artists, and then uh, we negotiate. They give me two, three sketches, and I pick the best sketch. And a lot of times, we'll already have uh, the cover work done before we order the other work, and we'll pick some colors from the color scheme of the cover, hand those over to the interior artists, so that they use some of those colors in their book to give us some consistency throughout the product doesn't always happen but it's something that we're really kind of leaning heavily into getting our page designs and everything to be once again a work of art now um all right ask me the question again you were so do you have some favorite artists yeah, that you go yeah. to all the time it's unfair to say they're favorites because i love all of my artists for different reasons you know uh like uh the the late great he just recently passed and broke my heart uh terry pavlet you know he and i would knock heads all the time because he's you know he was 15 years older than me and how do you know what you know and i'm like because i learned the same things you did i just did it 15 years later you know and, and he, had to really, he had to that dude really had to try me out he had to really test me to know if i was good enough to be his boss you know but uh he would if you needed a bug or a critter or a werewolf or something like that and you needed it tomorrow because somebody dropped the ball that dude would have it on your desk tomorrow right so he was fast. He's a guy I go for if I need something quick. Uh, uh, Hector Rodriguez is like that. He's quick. I really, I really dig that guy. But I mean, I love all these guys. Uh, Mike, Mike Siragos is, uh, he's as he and um, Brian LeBlanc have a that traditional uh, cosmic horror, weird fantasy, '60s '70s book cover style that I just love. I absolutely love it um, because. It's just got so much energy and the color and the passion in it is is what I dig. And then then we'll get to some of the other guys like uh, Artem Shkayev is an actual honest to god genius. The dude is he's literally brilliant. I've known him since he was 14 years old. He one of the reasons he picked the high school he went to is because he found out I was working in RPGs and that I was the art teacher there, and he wanted to. Wow. Yeah. 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 <laughs> That's cool. That he's really he's cool. so smart and so talented. And you look at the stuff he did. We were publishing him when he was 15. That's awesome. You know, we hired his first pieces when he was 15. And um, uh, Adrian Landeros, who's uh, basically the kind of the uh, flagship artist for uh, uh, Planet X Games, right? He was one of my students, too. He was a couple years uh, younger. Uh, Twan, uh, Twan Pham, who... Uh, He's done a bunch of covers. He's done work for a ton of people now. Uh, again, he was one of my students, you know. And it's funny because I told these guys uh, that Frog got them like, "Hey, I got some kids. You should you should really take a look at the." And they're like, "No, no, <laughs> okay." And so I tell the kids, "Hey, they they don't really uh, they don't really believe in you. So uh, what are you gonna do?" And they they cranked out some like sample pictures for me, uh, Artem especially. And after after. I sent the sample picture. They're like, who did this? And I was like, a 14 year old. And they're like, but their mom signed a contract. And I'm like, (laughs) (laughs) Um, and uh, you know, and then I just tell these kids that are, that that had come into my classes. I'm like, listen, if you want to be 
and and artist and do illustrations for books and things like that. I happen to know a guy who can who can maybe hook you up if you work hard <laughs> enough and do exactly what he says. They're like, who's that? And I'm like, this guy right here, you know. <laughs> my education career, they're transitioning me to uh, game design. So I've been cool. doing illustration for all these years, and now they've got me doing the uh, stuff for the. Uh, it's not the esports in itself, but it's the uh, gaming concepts classes that go along with the esports teams. They need people to know how to uh, be better gamers and better citizens. But we're also expanding that into a game development design because all of the stuff that's in video games all started in RPGs. Mm, for sure. You know? I mean, how many how many games have hit points? Almost all of them. <laughs> yeah, at this point, yeah. Yeah. As someone who's uh, who's been doing this for a long time, how do you think that uh, you know art for RPGs has changed? Like you go back to like uh, older editions, and it's basically just like there's the cover art. And then you have like the small little black and white inserts everywhere. But right. uh, how, how do, you, do you think it's grown? Why do you think it's grown? And like, do you think it's for the better? This is, this is actually really cool. And it's one of the reasons why the artwork that you look at now is so eye-popping and stunning. Mm-hmm. Uh, these kids grew up on that stuff or some derivation of that stuff, you know? Uh, they had uh, World of Warcraft. They had... Uh, what, EverQuest, uh, you know, I mean, these are generationally every, you know, 10, 20 years, but all of that stuff is, is derived from that original source. Uh, Gary was hiring one of his kids, his kids as friends from high school, and they were using a, uh, I can't remember the name of it, it's like an old Mother Hubbard, Grimm's Tales, fable book from like the school library. And they were just redrawing the pictures. That's where like the uh, the the cloud giant and all of that stuff comes from. You know, they were just redrawing <laughs> really? it in their own way. So, but it was like a book from like the 1880s. You know, and uh, they were doing that in the 1970s. Uh, and they realized fairly quickly that they had to get some professional artists. So, you know, they went and hired uh, Jeff D and Bill Willingham and all of those guys who had backgrounds in comics. And actually, working on D and D got a lot of them rehired at. at better salaries back like marvel and dc you know so well and that's the other thing the high school kids were doing they were they were like look taking individual pages from comic books and they were like redrawing it and putting a sword and a shield on the guy instead of it we lost you for a second we'll just pause and we'll wait for you to come back in like i said a lot of those guys were uh copying out of comic books and things like that and then casey we we lost you for a good like 10 seconds or so okay um, it could be the case, though, that the local audio captured it, and so okay. we'll get it, but we actually didn't hear what you said, and I apologize. Um, I said the uh, original kids were working in, uh, they were, like, copying out of comic books, too, to get the poses and things. So he ended up and hired the uh, the comic book guys, and then they ended up moving, you know, on to uh, Jeff Easley and uh, Parkinson and uh, uh, Larry Elmore and, and those guys. And hiring them as as the reprints came out for AD and D because the first prints were so you know popular and and I mean uh, Dave Sutherland Dave Trampier uh, you know uh, uh, Diesel of course those guys are so good at their line work and and yet that's why D and D has that weird kind of cross between superhero and medieval fantasy look to it right <laughs> and and so it always blows my mind when I, I meet the people who are like. They didn't do that back then. They didn't do that back then. And I'm like, back when? You mean like 1977, or do you mean like uh, 1312? Because 
1312 and D&D didn't happen either. It's D&D. There's dragons and liches and vampires and werewolves <laughs> and troglodytes and all of this kind of stuff. And there hasn't been a good troglodyte sighting in at least 10 years, unless you're watching. <laughs> you know? So that, that frustrates me. But that old art, it's, it's, it's funny because, like I said, once again, the new generation is a student of the old generation's work. So you look at the stuff that people are doing. Um, I got a kid, Sid Quaid, and I, I feel bad I didn't send any of his uh, sketches over with the, or his artwork over with the stuff I sent you guys. But Sid's got this crazy black and white style, and he's been doing like little comic strips for us, sort of like the ones that were in the old AD&D first edition books, but not like the corny ones. The little, like, the more serious ones where you'd have like the big battle with all the kobolds and the green dragon on top of the, treasure pile he's doing stuff like that for us as little kind of border decorations on, on our books i can't wait until oh. people see his stuff but this like the old school revival old school rules whatever they want to call themselves is great for that because you have artists who have been looking at that stuff since they were children learning to play D from their dads or their uncle or their scoutmaster or whoever who have taken that and then they're watching all of these other artists on YouTube and TikTok and they're honing their skills and getting better and better. So now we have the stuff like uh, like they did, like Errol Otis did, but now it's like all amped up, yeah. you know? So every, it's, it's like, what's what's the show where it was at South Park's last movie where the, the future sucked because everything's so extreme? Uh, <laughs> <laughs> it's the extreme, extreme, extreme version, but... It, it, for fantasy art, that's where it's coming back around to, is is that old school stuff, and here we are riding that wave, and we've been doing this all along. So it's it's kind of it's kind of cool for me. I love that first edition feel. It's always been it's always been nice. Yeah, I feel that that kind of leads into a question I, I wanted to ask. I'm going to ask you to call your shot. What's the big change we're going to see in TTRPG art over the next decade? Um, big change. It's uh, like I said, we're already into that slide where it's going to be it's it's that kind of uh, retro 70s, 80s vibe. I think uh, you're going to see stuff that was popular like in the uh, early mid 90s. And then it's going to be the extreme version of that. So. <laughs> oh, Lord. <laughs> so, uh, what you're saying is it's going to be awesome. Oh, uh, yeah. I, I mean, there's going to be so many pockets. And studs and spikes. Fighters and, and Jinko jeans. Yeah, yeah. They're going to have bell bottoms with like razor wire running down the side. No, I mean, that's Pogs are going to come back. Pogs are coming back. No, really... I, just, I, want, I want Jinkos. That's really all I want. Yeah. I, I bet you could find some at some thrift stores here in Wichita. You probably I bet find I could some buy some new ones. <laughs> they're coming back. I, I, I've seen them pop up on social media. It's a thing again. Yep. 90s nostalgia uh, that, that's is a coming in a joke, But actually, there's, there's some truth to that. I think that kind of vibe is going to come around because those uh, folks who were young kids when in, like, say, 95, right, are going to be mm -hmm. 35, and they're going to have a 10 or 11-year-old kid that they want to get into games, and they're going to start them out on the books that they started out on because it's the <laughs> easiest way for them to remember the rules. They make fun of me at RPG conventions because I can't remember which rule set I'm playing. I just, I'm like, roll the dice. Why are you bringing up Thacko? <laughs> yeah. Well, they do. They'll be like, uh, I rolled this, subtract 10, so that's a this. I'm like, yeah, you hit. It's fine. You seem enthusiastic. You got it. Yeah. No, no. It's, yeah, it's, it's, yeah, it's, yeah. it's all about making sure they're having a great time. 
you know, and uh, that's 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 a far cry from the way I used to run in the early 2000s, which was uh, I'm going to see how fast I can get a TPK so we can go to the bar, and it's you know. <laughs> It's not as cool anymore. Now, now I want everyone at the table to really go, wow, we really had a blast, you know. And uh, it set up some uh, some memories that they're never going to forget. Uh, I have an example. We have a cool piece of art I'll have to send you guys. It's in the uh, City of Brass when we redid it for 5th edition and uh, uh, Swords of Wizardry. And um, there's this uh, little ring that's got the uh, spirit of a fire elemental child inside of it right and as the character develops and grows in levels it develops and grows into a full-size fire elemental but if it ever gets killed it just goes back in the ring well we started playing that campaign while i was working on it and one of my daughter's friends was only like 14 years old and she's real sensitive at the time about a lot of stuff you know and i was afraid oh no don't want anything to happen to spark and spark will die or whatever and it's like well this is maybe not the game for you but uh and it took us you know because we were only able to play like once every couple weeks or whatever so it took like years to finish that campaign by the time we finished the campaign all of those kids were graduating from high school Mm. and so one of the climax moments of the adventure is if you have the ring and you finally make it to the top of the ziggurat in the city of brass the the spirit tells the the ring tells the bear that the fire on top of that is actually its father and they can do the un, unlock the curse free the father the fire elementals so he's no longer a prisoner of the uh of the uh, genies whatever man the tears all of that stuff so worth it because this kid was invested from the time she was like 14, 15 years old until she was 18 years old with that NPC character. That's something she's played it twice now. She's played all the way through City of Brass twice now, once wow. with me as DM, once with her father DMing, and now she wants to run it for her friends. Oh, so that's awesome. That, that is, is so awesome. Cool. They can't get any better than that, man. That's why we do it. You know, that's why we play because that's we're all multimillionaires. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, I, I do want to ask. So my understanding, uh, Frog God has a Kickstarter coming up. Uh, we, we are currently in a Kickstarter for uh, Whisper and Venom by uh, Zach Glazer, our uh, chief uh, operating officer. He's basically the boss at this time. And uh, we're doing his book. And it's a very tongue in cheek, low level adventure. Uh, with lots of really cool NPCs, and and it's it's a uh, kind of one of those places. It's got a couple home bases. It's got some dungeons you can go and explore. It's got uh, different uh, subterfuge and and NPCs who are up to nefarious, no goods behind the scenes. But uh, so it's it's really cool. We've got that going. Uh, I'm not sure which one is going to be our next uh, Indiegogo. It's either going to be my book, uh, Fungus God from Outer Space, or it's going to be the doubleheader of uh, Swords and there's Spears in the Ice and Spring Rites, which are Viking themed uh, things by uh, Ken Spencer. And uh, then we also have a uh, book of Beast, which I've been art directing the hell out of the last few days since I got back from vacation. Uh, we're almost, we got like one piece, I think, left to get turned in for that. And it's uh, the gods and deities of the, uh, of the Pantheon from the uh, Frog God line of uh, the Lost Lands. And it's not all of them because we we had to break it into like three or four products. So it's going to be about the first twenty four or thirty of the deities that are that are major parts and players of our uh, thing. And and for people who don't understand what's the difference between Necromancer games, Frog God games, uh, Frog God games uh, came about when uh, Clark Peterson 
needed to take his legal career more seriously than his uh, his gaming hobby. And so he he kind of backed away and uh, they kind of split IP rights and he just kind of, you know, took a percentage of any of the stuff that got republished that was Necromancer stuff, as Frog God stuff after he stepped back. Well, some years went by and uh, he was like, man, I'm tired of waiting around for this kind of stuff, you know, give me this much money, buy me out. And so now we own both imprints fully. And what we do with the Necromancer line is that's our stuff that is more non, I don't want to say uh, non-setting oriented. We may release adventures or something that take place in the Frog God setting in the Lost Lands, but uh, we can also release things that are not setting based. Uh, and then also your Dungeon Master's Helpers products, the uh, Book of Wonder, Tome of Wonders items, uh, Tome of Alchemy, Tome of Treasures. Those things are all of our uh, on our, our Necromancer line, and uh, those are ones that we end up uh, and they they do pretty well because they're the things you know like hey, you're tired of giving people ten pieces of silver. How about uh, roll <laughs> on the tables and come up with something that's worth ten pieces of silver? That's pretty cool. But uh, that, that's the basic dif- difference is that the Frog God stuff mainly is uh, like our big adventure paths and things like that that take place in the campaign setting. So we have like five different like realms within the uh, the Lost Land settings that are fully developed. Uh, so, yeah, that's that's what's up. That's the difference between the, the companies. Cool. Awesome. So if I'm, if I'm looking at Frog God, I'll probably expect like common setting. Everything's kind of unified. And kind of everything around the peripheral, I'll probably find in Necromancer. Correct. Awesome. Correct. Like your your monster books. The monster books are probably going to come out of Necromancer. Uh, your treasure books, your magic item books, things like that are going to come out of Necromancer. Our setting books, like uh, Duchy of Reem and uh, Te Waddle and uh, uh, Necropolis, those are all going to be part of our Frog God line. Gotcha. Awesome. All right. Casey, thank you so much for being with us today. Absolutely, my pleasure, guys. It's uh, it's great. I love talking about my job. It's like I said, it's a lifestyle. It isn't just the uh, you know something that we do. <laughs> well, uh, Casey, where can people find you on social media? I'm actually kind of a social media outcast or something. I don't know. I have a Dirty Dogs <laughs> Roadhouse is uh, my it's uh, my own little imprint as well as uh, kind of where I put up a lot of the pictures of the minis that I paint and artwork. Uh, and that's on Facebook. Um, I believe I'm Son of Bob on Instagram. And uh, then, uh, yeah, the rest of it, I'm just myself. I don't really Twitter. Like, I have an account, but it's mostly to just kind of ghost look at what other people do. And uh, I just, uh, I'm I'm really busy, guys. I, I, I'm probably one of the, when it comes to the gaming thing, because I write, I art direct, I illustrate, I consult other people on their products all the time. So, like, I don't have that time and energy left over to also, and I teach still, you know. Because I love the kids, so uh, <laughs> you know it's like, and l- look at the stable of artists that have come out of that, you know. So it's kind of like I got to stay for a few more years and squeeze out a few more that are going to help uh, help us in <laughs> years, you know. That's uh, awesome. Because the nice thing about the ones I teach is they, I don't have to usually tell them much more than what the art notes are. They they already know what I want, so uh, it's pretty cool. They all came out for my 50th birthday this year, too, so that was really cool. Oh, nice. that is Happy awesome. Happy birthday. Yeah, thanks. If you've enjoyed the show, please rate and review us on Apple Podcast and rate us on Spotify or your favorite podcast app. It's a quick, free way to support the podcast and helps us to reach new listeners. You'll find links in the show notes. You'll find affiliate links for source books and other materials linked in the show notes, as well as on RPGBot.net. 
Following these links helps us to make the show happen every week. I'm going to get all of the names that you gave us for the artists, and I'm going to see if I can look them all up. And do they all have websites or something where we can point them? Or on ArtStation or uh, Behance. Got it. Okay.